Hello, hello. Welcome to episode five of Listen, Linda. Today I have a special guest. His name is Brett Wigley. I'm so excited. I don't even want to tell you what our, our episode's about because I just want to introduce how amazing and uh, special this person is to me. <laughs> you got to stop that. That's way too much already. <laughs> um, all, with all like jokes aside, me and Brett have worked together for a very long time. Um, if you are in his hands, you're in good hands. Uh, that I being said, said, stop. Like, come <laughs> on. <laughs> that being said, um, Brett, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Um, okay, so my name is Brett Wigley. I am a BCBA at Acorn Health. Um, I'm one of the three of us at our tiny little Winchester, Virginia branch. Um, and like Linda said, you know, we've worked together for forever. We worked together as RBTs way back in the day. We went to grad school together. Um, and then I beat Linda to the BCBA title, but uh, she caught up really quickly after that. Um, yeah, and that's about it. <laughs> um, awesome. So our episode today is going to be about, we'll be touching on noncompliance uh, clients that don't really like their therapist but then start to or BCBA and then going into what it means to be a teacher and uh, yeah and I hope that this is going to be a really great episode for parents, teachers, also just people in the work field that work with clients on, with ABA with autism I mean <laughs> and uh, yeah I'm excited. So I did want to kind of ask you and you we can take this part out if you don't want to answer it but I did want to ask you uh, what it's like being in a being a male in a female dominated industry. I feel like there just aren't enough industries that are male dominated, so you could ask this anywhere. <laughs> Obviously, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> no, I um, it's never really been a big issue for me. Um, mm -hmm. All of the people that I've worked with have never been like, oh, obviously, Brett's the male, so he get, does X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never, you know, felt ostracized for being a male, which, you know, unfortunately in some male dominated fields, that is not the situation for females. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've felt very lucky in that it's not really been an issue. I think there have been a couple of times where, you know, families have said, Hey, we're not comfortable with a male working with our female, you know, child, which... I totally understand that makes a hundred percent like that's entirely their right and I understand their decision for sure um, but in terms of like interacting with people professionally it's never been an issue yeah it's uh, I've, I've felt I've been very blessed to work with people who have just like valued me as a person and as a professional and you know the Y chromosome I happen to have has never really been an issue Wonderful. And and that being said, I feel like more males should go into learning about ABA and then applying it into becoming a BCBA. And I know actually, I don't know if you know this, Brett, but I have a high male listening uh, percentage. So that's pretty cool. Um, and that, so you guys out there, look into ABA, look into being a BCBA. You guys are needed too. Um, we love the support regardless. And yeah, I think... I think what we're going to get into today kind of lends itself to that. You know, um, mm -hmm. there are certain types of, like, you know, pairing and play that, for whatever reason, children like to do that more with, uh, you know, male teachers than female teachers. Like, 
Uh, I have a lot of kids that like to pretend roughhouse because I'm a guy and I'm able to like take the pretend roughhousing, which, you know, has helped me a lot forming some, you know, fun teaching relationships with some of my mm-hmm. clients. No, it's funny you say that because I grew up with four uncles that would roughhouse with me all the time. And so I kind of brought that into being a BCBA and I always feel like my clients get so excited to see me because they know that as soon as I'm there, I'll roughhouse with them all night, like all day, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's you're, fun. Yeah. The, you, uh, you do very much embody that. Like, hey, when we're playing, we're like, we're going. Let's do this. You're all in. <laughs> I'm going to throw you up in the air. I'm going to spin you upside down. I have a client now that like will come up to me and he's learning to use his words and he'll just be like, uh, upside down, upside down. And I know exactly he want, what he wants me to do. And it's so funny to watch. <laughs> That's the best. And yeah. it's, there's nothing more gratifying than when a kid who is learning to be vocal has like that phrase that is like, oh, when I see Linda, upside down is <laughs> too. Here we go. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, let's get into the rest of the episode. Um, we uh, The first question is how to get a child to accept you in their space. Do you want to start and answering that one? Uh, yeah, I think probably, and I'm basing, just full disclosure, I'm basing a lot of this off of the work of Dr. Greg Hanley. Um, I absolutely love him. Linda and I have uh, been to a couple of trainings uh, where we got to listen to him and his philosophies. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me when I'm trying to get a kid to accept me into their space is to look at yourself as a demand just simply by existing you know um, a lot of people prefer having their own private space they prefer not having to interact with people because having to interact with people in a very small way is a demand even if it's just acknowledging their presence uh, because there are things that you might want to do that you can't do when someone's around you right so just by virtue of me existing, I am inhibiting what they're able to do moment to moment. So you, mm-hmm. have to, you have to understand that and you have to you know, communicate to them that you recognize that you're placing a demand on them. Uh, and you have to allow them the option to really say, hey, I don't want you in my space right now. And you have to respect that, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and going into Dr. Hanley, I always appreciated that part of it because I think as BCBAs, we don't really realize that going into, especially in the beginning, the first year I think is such a learning time for all of us. And so when I was taught that, it was really like eye-opening, like, oh yeah, maybe I am aversive to a child, which is super difficult for them to be around me and I don't even realize it. And so the beginning steps of what he explained and how to get a client or a child to accept you is kind of just allowing them to be in your space for just a few seconds without without placing any demand so then they realize and trust you that you will accept them you're accepting them and they're accepting and you're accepting that they don't want you there for too long so you're hearing them without without having them having to say anything and you're taking that step away and then you're coming back in after a few minutes and until you get to the point where they're they're okay with you just being in their space. Right. That in and of that in and of itself is an accomplishment, you know? We do, you don't have to be domineering right out the gate. Mhm. Yeah, it was definitely eye-opening like I said. Um all right, cool. So the next one I wanted to talk about was how to get a client to respond to you. 
which is like reducing non-compliance. I know I actually had um, a family member who is a mom reach out to me and was like, can you do an episode just on non-compliance? And I was like, I got you. So I, I think this, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, how do we as BCBAs reduce non-compliance, which is them not, re- not accepting a demand from us? I, I think there are a couple of things that go into that. The biggest to me is this idea of differentially reinforcing compliance. So when the you don't want to engage with them when they're being non-compliant. You want to withhold yourself. If you've done your job right in the introducing yourself to their space, then uh, they really want you to be engaging with them. You know, if you paired really well. If, you, if they're being non-compliant, you know, you be reserved. You can ignore their behaviors without ignoring the client, right? You can ignore the pouting or the falling on the floor without ignoring them. Mm-hmm. And then when they give you an inch, you celebrate like, you celebrate like they gave you a mile, right? Mm-hmm. You may be trying to get them to go to the table. They take one step. That's a celebration in and of itself, right? So you're doing a good job of really communicating with the entirety of your posture, um, with the entirety of what you're doing, that you're happy with what they've done. That's the biggest one to me. So, Brett, you're coming at it with a BCBA mindset. And I do want to kind of, which is amazing, and it's very true. And I do kind of want to brush up if you're a mother who's, your child obviously loves you and they want you to be around, but sometimes they still engage in noncompliance. Do you have any insight on that? I think there's a lot of, um, I think kids communicate a lot to us without us really realizing it. Uh, prior to uh, the non-compliance, there's often ways that you can uh, see that they're about to get to the non-compliance, like maybe they start to get a little more rigid, maybe their voice becomes a little louder or a little more tense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think before, my biggest advice to the parents that I work with is, prior to introducing those demands that you suspect are going to make them non-compliant, recognize that they're communicating to you in some way and, you know, talk to them, recognize their communication together um, to try and head off the Uh, non-compliance. Once they're already in non-compliance, you know, that's a very individualized thing. I can't really say, but I think Mm -hmm. um, the biggest thing for me in avoiding non-compliance is recognizing the signs early Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to talk to and communicate with the person before it gets that bad. Perfectly said. Yeah, I agree. Um, with any child, I realize, let me see what their limit is. Let me see how far I can get them. Um, and I don't push past that limit. And then once I get to that point, that's what Brett was saying about celebrating that they can do even that. So if you have a child... This is, who's typical, doesn't have autism or any other um, disability, even with that, even with them, you're going to want to still find that, what, de- how far can I place a demand on him without him engaging in a tantrum, which is screaming and crying and all that stuff. And then we're going to slowly increase the demand. So I think what parents tend to do and what I've seen within a lot of, um, you know, with parents, with RBTs, which are the therapists that work with our clients, um, sometimes they place demands not realizing that this is maybe huge to them, small to us. And we have to kind of realize that and place it, place those demands at a smaller level. 
and that being said, maybe you know for a fact that they can do something that's that you're that you've asked them to do. But what if you're having a bad day? We all have bad days. We all have those times where we don't want to do something. Um, and we have to acknowledge that and we have to respect that. And I, I'm trying to see if I'm missing anything else. No, I think that was really, really well put. The the idea of like we all have our bad days, um, and if the if you recognize that your child is having a bad day, but they do something they don't want to do uh, for you, despite that, that is huge. That communicates such a level of trust between like you and your child, um, and that's something to celebrate because that can be that can. It feels like, yeah, okay, he's tied his shoes a hundred times before, but he's in a really bad mood and he's still able to do that because I asked. That, like, communicates so much love and trust between you two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for like, sure. Like, that trust is able to overcome that sorrow, mm-hmm. that discomfort, whatever it might be. And uh, one last thing that I kind of realized with parents, if a ch- if your child is engaging in in a behavior or doing something that you don't want them to do so it's kind of accepting the no or accepting to not do something um well first we got to work on accepting no but also you can find things and reinforcers and not because i've noticed some parents tend to like gather a bunch of reinforcers and all the things that their child likes and give it to them right away you can withhold that and wait and give it that time and sh- and as they're doing good things you can give it to them because that's showing them what you want them to do rather than what you don't want them to do and i feel like we could actually go on and on all day about non-compliance so i'm gonna yeah, put a pin on it <laughs> maybe another time because uh, it's definitely there's so much that goes into it and I, i'm kind of as realizing as i'm going and we can you know if you parents or anyone has questions on that please uh, message me and we can talk about those and for those parents who have been messaging me, I am so thankful for you guys. So another thing what we were talking about is a child accepting you in their, or, yeah, they, a child accepting you in their space. So a question is how to teach them to appropriately communicate when they don't want you in their space. I think this goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier where um, prior to a kid having a full-blown tantrum and screaming and stomping and using that to tell you that they don't want you in your space. Um, as you, uh, as I, I as a BCBA, when I approach a child, when I come into a home or I come into a room, um, if I see a dramatic change in the child's you know, posture, uh, tone of voice, as I enter, as they recognize that I'm coming into their space, that's when I teach communication. Don't try and teach the communication when they are screaming, when they are dropping on the floor. Try and teach the communication when they're still, you know, relatively calm and open to being taught. Because Mm -hmm. nothing you, or very little of what you say while they're screaming and tantruming is going to be learned. Mm -hmm. It's going to be learned a lot better when they're still calm. So, like, if you walk in um, and you sit down at a table with a kid and they kind of scowl at you and you say, hey... Um, I see that you're kind of looking upset. Do you want me to go? Like, you can just tell me to go. Um, and they say yes. I'll be like, hey, thanks for letting me know. I'll go. I'll come back later. You just let me know, okay? So walk away. Come back two minutes later. If they still don't want you there, okay, fine. Just build that trust. Build that communication. Um, and then, you know, once if they're consistently telling you to go, say like, okay, hey, I know that you want me to go. You know that I'm going to leave, but can I hang out for like two minutes and then I'll go? And try and introduce yourself that way. 
Yeah, that's perfect. You're and perfect, I, Linda. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> you that can be, cut that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I'm leaving that. Oh, going into what you were saying about teaching a client or a child something when they're calm, how to handle things when they're upset. Another thing that I tend to do is also teach a child how to work on breathing, counting their fingers, um, walk, taking a walk or asking to take a walk. All these things that I know that will help calm them and maybe your child, every child's so different. Maybe there are things that you know that will help your child when they're upset. I use that when they're calm and I tell them, let's work on these things. And then when they're upset, I'll say, oh, let's work on our breathing or, oh, let's ask for a walk and I'll take them for a walk. So that's another thing that I feel is really important and um, making sure you do these things ahead of time. So it's easier when they are in a bad mood or they are having an off day. Right. Because, I mean, we can talk. I feel like I more so than Linda. Linda, always the realist over there. Um, <laughs> but... I've been talking in like idyllic terms and this idea where in this world where kids never get upset and I'm always able to like teach before they get upset and that is just not how it works. Kids are going to get upset. There's, you know, no avoiding it. Uh, but those coping strategies that Linda teaches are just perfect for that because mm -hmm. the upset is inevitable. Exactly. It is inevitable. And I think parents tend to get upset when their child gets upset but i mean how many off days do you have it's just so natural we can't we can only work on how to cope with it not to eliminate it completely and then I did want to talk about understanding the impact as a teacher, provider, BCBA, which is what we are, board certified behavior analyst, as well as even parents. Um, I know Brett had a lot to say about this and I'm going to let him take it away. This is one of my favorite things to talk about because I think specifically as teachers and BCBAs and to a, a lesser degree as parents, you know, when you're working with a client as a teacher, there's an understanding, the, the client knows that you are there to make them do things that they don't want to do, to some extent, you know? No one wants to, I think a, a good analogy for, you know, kiddos these days is, I have a lot of clients who all they want to do all day is just play Minecraft, right? And just by me existing in the home, they understand, oh man, Mr. Brett is here. I'm not just going to be able to play Minecraft. I haven't even said anything yet. But by <laughs> virtue of the fact that I am there, there's an understanding that, okay, my free time is gone, right? I don't have to say a word. I can be entirely quiet. I'm a demand just by existing. My voice, even if I'm saying hi, like I say hi to one of my kids, by virtue of the fact that I said hi, he has to stop what he's doing and say hi back. And so... Saying hi in that way is a very, very small demand, right? But even though it's that small, it might be the demand that pushes him over uh, his limit and now he's upset, right? So you have to be constantly aware of these small micro demands that you're giving to your clients mm -hmm. um, and respect that as you interact, as you talk more, as you're in their space longer, you've added like magnitudes more small demands you, and you have to respect that and respect the impact that's going to have on your clients yeah that's perfect um and last thing and how it ties to being just grateful for those around you and um because conversation in itself can be a demand especially if someone's having a bad day and i think we just need to 
really put that in perspective that sometimes the people around us it may be aversive to be hanging out with us and and we need to also be appreciative of them and i'll let brett take that part away as well (laughs) i'll stop i mean um you know it was when linda called me so we could start doing this recording i had to go from my own private time to oh man now i have to talk to linda you know no i'm i'm kidding but um i think it's very easy to do nothing and it's hard to do something it might not be hard but you know it's effort to do something um and even if it's a seemingly non-existent amount of work to respond to someone you love with like the entirety of your being it's still an amount of work right so we need to recognize the work that the people in our life are doing to interact with us. And when you've found someone that enjoys doing that work, you need to celebrate that you've found someone happy to work to interact with you, right? Um, <laughs> to interact with you and you be able to interact with them. I think it's just like going into gratitude and just, uh, and even gratitude with your clients for when they and celebrating that when they do end up liking you. And I, you've even told a really sweet story of how a client went from not even wanting you in your space to hugging you. And that was that was really sweet. And I think everyone would like to hear that one. <laughs> OK. Yeah, I had a kid who um, I, I would walk into the house and he would run and hide behind his mom um, and he would fall to the ground and he would. Uh, scream and scream and scream to the until I left the house. Physically walked out of the house, um, and through you know paying attention to him and being really grateful to him when he would interact with me. Within you know a couple of weeks, it took a long time, but within a couple of weeks, now I walk into the house and it's like, all right, mom, I'm done with you. Mr. Brett's here. He asks for a hug and to be picked up and to be spun. Um, and it just, it it comes from, you know, being grateful to him for every small amount of work that he did because I asked him to, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Super meaningful when that can happen. I mean, I know like for me, it's not a huge amount of work for me to hang out with you, Brett, but (laughs) it might be for someone else. And and we want to celebrate when we can get a client or a child from zero to a hundred and right. being able to accept her. But yeah, that being said, I am grateful to have you and my, the other colleagues in our lives that we can call up at any time and talk about something that's stressful and, and come to a solution together. I mean, that is so precious and um, we need to just remember how to be so grateful for it. Right. I, I uh, appreciate, uh, I don't mind doing the work to, interact with you, Linda, because I know that you are willing to do the work back for me. And I'm very grateful that we have that, you know, quid pro quo, that back and forth, because that's what makes interacting with people worth it. Yeah, um, I don't know if you guys know this. Well, you guys don't, but (laughs) (laughs) but, (laughs) I mean, I've been through so many stressful situations as a BCBA, and it's been so... It fills me with gratitude to have someone as Brett and as someone as Liz, who was in a previous episode, to be able to support me through those rough times. And I'm so thankful for that. And that really brings this episode together, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Brett, for coming on to this episode. You have no idea how much it means to me. And um, I'm glad to uh, talk about all this with you. I, who else to talk about all this than with 
the person that I actually had to present this stuff about in a meeting. So <laughs> it's, it was like perfect for it. <laughs> right, of course. Um, and thank you, Linda, for having me on. Finally, all the work I do interacting with you is paid off. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a funny one <laughs> thank you for listening to linda i'll see you on our next episode